intentional, tactical, and actionable information you can use to take your real estate investing business to the next level. This is REI Rocket Fuel. All right, episode three. Yes, episode three of the REI Rocket Fuel podcast. Today, we are joined by none freaking other than the one and only, thank God, Kyle Calvin. Kyle, thank you for taking time out of your super busy, semi-retired schedule to hang out with me via Zoom today. Hopefully, you're staying warm. It's balmy nine degrees here in wichita right now so oh yeah it's 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 too cold i hate the cold too i'm uh i i'm looking more at uh trying to figure out a way to do winters in uh florida or georgia that'd be pretty nice so I'm surprised you don't have any airbnbs uh in some warm weather i haven't done the airbnbs yet i um i don't different different business model so it hasn't really fit sure. into my thing so sure. i get that i get yeah. that so um Kyle, I guess walk me and everyone listening, because I don't really know, um, your genesis. How'd you get started in real estate investing? Why did you get started in real estate investing? Yeah, yeah. So um, try to keep it short. I, um, my undergrad was in finance and uh, my, my dad, even before that, was always about uh, always about trying to get me to focus on financial planning. Uh, he got started a little late in life. So he was really trying to make it a big push, I think, to get it early on for me. And so uh, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was like 14, 15. And, um, you know, The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley and, and all the other the big kind of Bible-like business books sure. um, early on. So I was kind of under that influence pretty early. In my undergrad degree, was concentration was financial planning. So I was, from the get-go, always focused on how, how do I – how do I retire early? And so I went to law school at Washburn uh, from Kansas, one of the in Kansas. So uh, anyway, I did that. And then I had a job offer going into my third year of law school. Law school is three years. So I had one year left, um, had the job in hand. So it was like, okay, well, what am I going to do in my time? And so I was like, I got to find a way to get above market returns to kind of fast track this retirement. And uh, just really was like, you're looking around and, and I had bought my, my place I lived in in law school and had roommates and it was like working out pretty well. So it kind of introduced me to it and made me a little more confident uh, with what I was, what's going on and my ability to fix things. I had a bathroom to it and, and another bedroom when I first bought it just by myself. And wow. put, put okay. it, so anyway, yeah, just uh, YouTube university pretty much. I, and um, anyway, so just, just, just uh, kind of had a little bit of experience with it doing that. And then um, just third year of law school, just dug all the way in, got my real estate license and, um, and just every weekend, my, my, my now wife, we were dating at the time, lived in Wichita. And so every weekend I come down to go to open houses, run the numbers and just sit there and be like, man, I really wish I had the access to capital and the, and the, and the ability to, uh, to buy these. Cause there's just deals everywhere. Sure. Um, and back in 20, 2016, 2015, that was, we, we looking back, those are all deals now. Right. So, Absolutely. <laughs> So anyway, I, I just sat on the sidelines for a year, which kind of forced me just, I, I was all excited. So then I just learned, I listened to every bigger pockets podcast back to episode one, uh, read all the books, um, just, just really got all into it. Uh, and just, when I finally did start working, I started, started buying about my second month in, I, I bought a place and just, and then for basically three years after just, uh, just bought, bought, bought. So. And how many units, how many doors do you have now? Do you mind sharing? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't mind. Um, I think it's 
uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 270, 275, which is what I have an ownership interest in. Um, I think my, I don't, I own some outright. I own one as few as 40%, but my average equity, I think across the board is around 60 or 70. I think it's like 65%, 70% of those, of those 270-ish. So. Wow. Okay. So 270-ish doors in these four years? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The bulk of those were in the first three. I've been a little inactive the last 12 months. So really? uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I done a, done a couple of deals with uh, you guys, and I bought a I bought a portfolio of twenty five and over the summer. But yeah, uh, yeah super inactive. You know, you just, <laughs> you just well, uh, a portfolio of twenty five houses. <laughs> kind of an compare, yeah, yeah. Well, comparatively, a little inactive the last twelve months. So the years two and three, uh, compared to this last year, my year four. Uh, those were a lot more uh, aggressive and, and focused on growth. So did a little bit market change uh, didn't really fit my, 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 my model as much anymore. And then also I just kind of like personal life changed and, and uh, left my job. Now I'm kind of just focused on some other ways to, to uh, create value. So, yeah. Sure. That's awesome. Um, so I guess what was the, what, uh, what really made you said in those first one to three, really two to, that second and third year was just super aggressive. You were just bye, 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 bye all the time. Yeah. Was that, uh, was it kind of an intentional strategic ramp up from year one to two, from two to three, or it just kind of happened that way that the deals just started to come to you because you were, you know, a better connected into the people in Wichita and you were more bankable, the more deals you did. Yeah. So I, I, it's, I wish I had, there's like one like solid answer, but I, I will say the one thing that I think distinguished me very much different than the rest is the seller financing, not just seller financing, seller second financing. Um, I, I, um, I contribute a huge amount of my ability to grow that fast to that model. Uh, and it's a model that I don't hardly see anybody hardly else use. And I, I don't think I was the original creator because I, I there's there, there's certainly plenty of people that have been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years. But um, I thought I, I, I uh, came up with this idea and later learned out it wasn't alone, but uh, it's very infrequently used. But basically you go and uh, buy a bit, buy a, buy a property and um, the seller carries a small sliver of the sell price as a second mortgage on the property. So it, it really drops your down payment amount. So uh, let's just go through a hypothetical. Say you're buying a, a million dollar property. The same numbers can be applied to a hundred thousand dollar property, but let's just do a million uh, as an example. Say you're buying a million dollar well, yeah, property. It's easier for you because you're used to dealing in the millions. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to have to take notes here on the side for the hundred thousand. The same numbers apply. Just take a zero off the back. I can use a hundred thousand if you'd like. So a hundred thousand dollar property, and uh, you uh, you get a seller to finance uh, a small portion of that, say twelve percent. That's usually what I get them to do. So my bank will put up eighty uh, percent of of the of the hundred thousand. So eighty thousand of that is bank financed. The seller is going to carry twelve thousand or twelve percent of the purchase price, and then I'm left putting down eight percent. So what I was able to do, I mean, nearly every single one of my deals was this seller second model, where I'd put down eight percent, sometimes five percent, even a couple of deals it was zero percent. I got this, and so um, you're able to just really, really, really. Uh, just grow really fast. Now, what's really important here is that 
I shouldn't just go with tell people to put seller seconds on everything without giving the the other slip side of the strategy, which is if the market had turned on me or gone negative, you know, I would have been a little little more tight. And so I was really I, I would make sure that all my bank debt and even my seller debt had very long amortizations. So if you lengthen out your amortizations, you lower your debt service, which improves your cash flow. So I mean, just finishing wrapping up that that anecdote. So put down $8,000 on a $100,000 property, say it was only a seven and three quarter cap rate. So, you know, at the end of the year, after all your expenses, but before debt, you know, you're making, uh, let's say $7,750 on that. Uh, after your debt service, you make a cash on cash return of a little over 30. It's about 31% on a, on a seven and three quarters cap. So at the time though, you were able to buy a lot of eight and nine caps and so those cash on cash returns in those first few years for me were like 40, 50, 60, sometimes even higher. Lord. So, and this strategy, yeah, like I've talked about cash is insane when you're putting seven, eight, ten thousand dollars down instead of 20, 30, 50, hundreds of thousands of dollars down, depending on, you know, of course, the size of the purchase price of the property or of the package. Uh, do you find you've yeah. had better luck doing that with packages? Uh, you know, maybe those or uh, apartment complexes, maybe those sellers are a little more sophisticated and, you know, they kind of understand the tax benefits of carrying back versus just outright purchasing, you know, versus the mod pod that has one or even worse, the, a listing on the MLS where you have to convince the agent representing the seller to somehow make all that happen. I know that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's gotta be a challenge. It is. It is. So my first couple of deals that I did, I did do them at like the, the hundred thousand dollar level. I did, you know, a duplex for like $60,000 and a triplex at $90,000 and got the seller to do that. And then um, from there though, I kind of, kind of just wanted to do the bigger ones too uh, because it, it allows you to deploy more capital quickly. Um, but also like you were talking about, I do think your sellers are more, interested in doing that because there's a lot of buyers out there that can buy a hundred thousand dollar property, but there's not a quad, not a huge amount that can do a million dollar one. Um, but there's still, there's still quite a bit, but, um, sure, but it just gets less and less and less. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also the, like the, the, I, the time it takes to put a deal like this together, it takes a little more time. You have to be a little more knowledgeable on it. So I was just trying to, I guess, use my time more wisely. Cause I was, a, I was a full-time attorney at that time and, and working stupid hours. So sure. um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, well, I guess talk to, did you buy any deals before you started doing seller seconds? Did you, or, yeah. or have you always done seller second? I, I, not all of them. I mean, I, I, just did a deal just with actually you guys, I bought a you know quadplex off you a month ago yeah. and just, did cash, but um, I, well, that's I think that's such a great deal. That's that right. You didn't even need to worry about your seller second. I mean, it the returns taking care of itself on that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, also, I think that your your circumstances change. At that time, I didn't have as much capital, so I had to be sure. very, very like I had a lot. I had a little. I, I had a lot of gumption and a lot of like work ethic, but I didn't have as much capital. So every deal I had, every deal I had, I I needed to deploy that capital at a really high return. And now it's the other. Now this is a little different because I got a little more cash. So now I can. Now I'm not really looking for seller seconds as quite as much because I can put down twenty percent and it you know not not hamstring me as much. Sure. Yeah, uh, but, but I mean, if you, at the time you had to stretch that 
you know, that little bit of cash you had, you know, that was one down payment, one house. Now you had to save up, save up, save up to do it again. Exactly. You could stretch that out as much as you can amongst many properties as you can. Exactly. Exactly. So, so what's the, so they've, so sell it to me. Like, I don't want you to give away the secret sauce, but I'm a seller. I'm open to a second mortgage carry back. Why, what's in it for me? Why not just buy me outright? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would usually pitch it in terms of like, Hey, I'm going to make you two offers. Uh, one's uh, just a regular bank close. I'll put down 20%. Yeah. You know, if you're willing to, to help me out a little bit and, and carry back some of my down payment, um, I'll actually give you a better purchase price. And so I'll kind of use that offer to, to give them two choices. People like choices. Sure. Uh, if they think their choices are, you know, 20% down and walk away or this deal that they may, they may kind of think less about walking away from my offers entirely. Sure. Uh, at least that was my strategy. And then I would pitch it to them in terms of like, yeah, so there is a little bit of tax benefits. So if you do have a big, uh, if your basis is pretty low and you have a tax hit coming, it'll, it'll move some of those gains over to the year in which I pay off your note. So there is some tax benefits to it. Um, and then also the earned interest. So sometimes people just wanted to be out of the deal entirely and they just wanted to just, they would love to have a little earned interest. So, um, and, and so I would, I would do that. Um, and so that was kind of my pitch. You earn some interest, there's some tax benefits and I can get you a higher purchase price. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, sounds like the, sounds like a perfect trifecta. If I was a, uh, a seller that could afford, of course, to, um, to wait uh, yeah. for more money and, or could spread it out, you know, not always the case. So um, aside from the MLS, where were you finding these deals? You know, in that, in that two to that, that, that second and third year where you just went bananas, were you, I mean, you have your real estate license, were you scouring the MLS? Were you talking to agents, wholesalers, doing your own marketing? What was the, like the main? Okay. All of the above. Yes. Yeah. So I found some from my own direct mail. I got a few apartment deals from that. Um, got a, got a, got a package from that meeting with real estate agents, you know, like yourself, I, you know, I got, got, uh, I remember Ash, uh, I think that, that deal from there, yeah. um, just did that. And then even just networking with property managers, um, got some from that. And then just, uh, sometimes I would meet a seller on a deal and then, you know, they would contact me later and let me know they were selling again. So, Oh, nice. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you do a good job. They circle back around with you. Yeah, exactly. So I did all of the above. Um, so I, I think now it's, I don't even look at the MLS. I, I'm sure there's stuff still out there on the MLS, but uh, it's a good call. You're not missing anything. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, it also takes time to do that. And I, I have a little less of that. So sure. Sure. What's the biggest, uh, biggest mistake you've made along the way and what's the biggest lesson you've learned? If the biggest lesson you've learned isn't the same as your biggest mistake. I made plenty of mistakes. So let me sure. preface it with that. I'm really fortunate that I haven't had one that's really been, um, you know, really damaging or material, I guess is the word I'd use. So I haven't, I've been fortunate enough that every deal hasn't really, I haven't lost money on a deal. I've lost money on trusting contractors. Sure. I made that mistake. Uh, I'd say that's one mistake I made early on that I had heard the podcast. I heard the advice, never pay, never get ahead, never right. pay the contractor early. I was like, no, this is a good guy. Yeah. And he wasn't a 
guy. They, they, and they can be good guys too. And then their life changes, things happen. And, and so I don't hold that against them, but um, yeah, I got swindled for thousands of dollars on that, 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 and that one hurt, that one hurt a little bit, but uh, I did that. Um, was that early on or was that, uh, you know, kind of early on kind of yeah. down the road when you could, yeah, yeah. You know, I lost that money. That sucks, but you know, it's not going to derail everything. Or was it early, early on that you were like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? No, it wasn't like, luckily it wasn't like that. I, I wasn't that silly to, to, to derail it that much, but uh, no, it was, it was a few, it was, I think it was $3,500. So um, it was not nothing insubstantial. And uh, I learned my lesson, have never done it again and, and never will. So yeah. that's it. I mean, that's as that's as low as it ever got for Kyle Calvin was $3,500. No, I mean, I've had other mistakes, but I mean, I, I, I think, uh, I think you make your money on your buy. And so um, I, as long as you're, I'm huge on numbers. So uh, I think even when I've made mistakes, as far as not assessing the property super well, it doesn't really matter because my basis is so damn low that uh, this deal could go wrong here and wrong here and wrong there, but like, I'm still making money. Cause I made, I, I bought right. And if you buy right, you can have those hits and you'll be all right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've gotten in there and I've bought properties that the furnace didn't work and I had to go replace that or this or that, but, um, I kind of always expect to kind of bacon in those numbers, some, some stuff bad happening when it doesn't, it's a really great, you make sure, the deal yeah. even greater. So yeah, it's just a nice little surprise. Yeah. Best piece of advice for someone just getting started in real estate, you know, whether they're looking to do seller seconds or they're looking to do short-term rentals, long-term rentals, they're going to buy flips, they're going to buy an office building, whatever it is. Best piece of advice for a new real estate investor. They're just getting started. Maybe they've done a deal or two where they're looking to do their first one. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, uh, I always hate giving this like just one thing because I don't, I never, I, I don't think, I always think these things are a little more black wise. I'll give you a few, I guess, real yeah. quick. Yeah. I think, um, I think, I, I think like learning is very important and we're living in a day and age now where there's so much information you can just, you can learn so much through podcasts, newsletters, just online forums um, and, and it's the information age. And so uh, you don't need to go, go, uh, you know, spend a ton of money to, to kind of learn these things. You don't go to go to college to get these degrees and do this thing. So I, mean, I think really focus on the education for one um, with that too. I'd also say that like um, I'd be, I, I, when it comes to advice, uh, one thing I really learned in law school is there's really there's there's this thing called an argument of authority, and it just just because you have credentials next to your name or you have you have this sort of business title or whatever, it, it doesn't mean anything if the substance of what you're saying doesn't stand on its on its face. So um, you just you got to look at the the substance of what they're saying, and regardless of the identity of the speaker, it, it has to make sense. And so um, yeah. I I say that with everybody, and I. I you know, when people say, oh, he's, he's a doctor, or he's a, he's got a PhD in this or that. I'm like, well, at the end of the day, the sky is still blue, even if he's saying it's purple. So right. I think that she holds true to real estate too. So like, it doesn't matter how many units I have, it doesn't at all. Like my advice, it needs to be able to be the same regardless of if you're talking, if I have one unit. So right. um, it, needs, right. it needs to make sense. So I would, I would, I would really, uh, I know a lot of newbies kind of get attracted to people that have gotten size or they've they've right. done this or they have these titles but it, it doesn't really mean much the statements what they the substance is what matters so i would say just be wary of that and um and uh just try to take it all in and learn as much as possible yeah that's 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 uh 
certainly one of the things I learned the hard way early on, you know, there's a, there's a way less eloquent non-law school way to say that. And that's, you know, if there's this guru on Instagram who's yep. trying to teach you how to get six pack abs, but he never lifts up his shirt <laughs> and shows you that he has a six pack, you probably shouldn't buy anything he's trying to sell you because, you know, the proof's definitely in the pudding. So For sure. that's the, uh, you know, we, there's people in Wichita that I know, you know, that people always talk about, you know, they have, you know, he's a thousand doors. He's got 500 doors, you know, it's this and that. And he's leveraged up to his eyeballs. He's not making any, he's got all the doors in the world, but he's not cash flowing anything. So yeah. you can take advice from that guy if you want to live that. But, you know, there's a lot of other people, regardless, like you said, regardless of size, uh, you know, don't just get attracted to that number of, oh my God, this guy's got a thousand doors. I need to, you know, follow in his footsteps. You don't really know, you know, you don't yeah. really know what's going on. Under yeah. The, under the and, it, and sometimes people will color things that are rosier than they are. So yeah, they may have a lot of doors, but they may not be going well, or they may be 95% owned by someone else. So it's right. just, right. you never really, yeah, you just, you always to take everything with a grain of salt and, and just, ask is this information they're giving me does that make sense is that is that good advice so. right 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 okay uh i know real estate's done a lot for your life and it's changed a lot of the trajectory as it has mine already yeah. early on what's the best piece of advice or pieces of advice since you're the overachiever you want to give 18 <laughs> of advice instead of one best piece of or pieces of advice you give to someone on the fence about, you know, getting started. There's, they're listening to the podcast. They're you before you yeah. move to Wichita. They're going to open houses and running numbers and they're like, God, do I get in? Do I stay out? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, 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 I'll try to break it down to two. So I want, I think like if you're, if you're trying to get uh, to retire early or just get better returns, like, uh, unless you have some other specialized skill that allows you to to make a lot of money or, or I mean, maybe there's other avenues that you have available to you that the general population doesn't. But real estate for the large, large part is available to everybody. And um, it is the by far uh, the, the the easiest way to get wealthy over time um, I, out of out of all the other you know avenues. I, I, I truly believe that. I look at, I'm looking at other businesses now to acquire and stuff, but I think from the get go with leverage and, and the tax benefits and then appreciation and cash flow, there's really no better investment. Uh, I still believe that I'm still trying to buy uh, just a little less active. I do, I, my, I do, I think I have a little opportunity with my other business that's going on that I've been focusing on, but I would, I would highly, highly, highly recommend, uh, highly recommend real estate. So um, would you yeah. be where you are today? Would you be semi-retired at? No, no. Or however old you are without real yeah. estate. I, I, I love that you call it semi-retired. I'm definitely not even semi-retired, but uh, I definitely, I stopped practicing law. So, but I still, I still work. Uh, I work less now in the last year than I, than I, than I have over the last six or seven. So that's been nice. Uh, getting a little free time back, but Still that. doing, still doing a lot of fifty-hour weeks. Oh, so. oh, oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know that. See now, see that's 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 good education for me. Kyle Calvin, hot off the press, is not semi-retired. Still <laughs> yeah. at it. Still yeah. at it. So on that segue to wrap it up, 
what's next for what's next for Kyle Calvin? Uh, yeah, so uh, my my wife's business is a mental health practice, and uh, I left in February to go start my own management company, bring my rent my rentals and uh, management in house for all my Wichita stuff, and so I'm doing that. But that only takes about ten hours a week, and then I spend the rest of my time uh, growing her practice. And so we just opened our third location, our third practice uh, on the east east side of Wichita uh, just this week. So it's very exciting, um, and we're looking to grow. We're we're now the the largest in in uh, the state of Kansas, and uh, wow. we at least at least so far we're, we're. I mean, the it looks very looks very uh, looks very good for the next six months in terms of growth. So really trying to grow that and look at other ways we can we can grow in this this area. So it's a very specialized area. My my under my uh, law degree, my law practice was in health law, so it kind of ties in well oh, to, cool. okay, nice. to what she's doing. And I I have the entrepreneurial side, so. It, and then she's a therapist, so it all kind of like ties in. So um, anyway, yeah, really trying to focus on that and, and keep growing that business. So talk about a power couple. Okay, <laughs> well, that's uh, you're just a man of many uh, man of many talents when it comes to business and entrepreneurship. What's the? Uh, I'm gonna throw a last question at you that I haven't asked anyone else because everything else has just been on real estate. What's the best piece of general business advice that you give? Like, doesn't have to be directly related. Them to real estate you know, since mm. you're uh, involved in many ventures and analyzing other businesses and yeah. So, I mean, I think in general, the, like I was kind of mentioning earlier, it's all, the numbers don't lie. The numbers really tell a story. And I really, really recommend if you are getting into it, you need to know what cap rate is. You need to know cash on cash. You need to know uh, how the numbers work together. Um, so that if your numbers are off, how does that affect your returns? things like that. You need to kind of go through worst case scenarios. So, um, and that's just the truth among real estate and business. So, um, and I'm evaluating other businesses now and it's, I don't know, it, it's a scary task, but you have to go through it and uh, it can be a little mind numbing sometimes, but I think the numbers are really, really important, especially historical numbers. They really tell how, how the, how the business is operating or how it's not operating. So. Well said, I lied. This is the last one. How do you, with all the analyzing and all the numbers focused, how do you not get caught up in the paralysis by analysis that so many people get trapped on there? They, they've got the analyzing thing down because they've been doing it for a decade and haven't bought a single property. Yeah, I think. How do you, how do you not get trapped in that? I think they need to set their criteria. What are, what are you looking for? So if you set your criteria, like I'm going to buy anything with this amount of return, making if, if these sort of assumptions, if you have your baseline criteria, uh, if it meets it, then you need to go explain to other people why you're not buying this or you can explain to yourself why you're not buying it. Um, and sometimes people come up with reasons, but if you have your criteria set, it makes it a little bit easier. So I have my criteria uh, if it meets that criteria, I'll buy. Um, and then I, I, that's kind of how I set it. So, and then, and then if you end up running lower capital capital, then you just adjust your criteria to raise your standards a little bit. So you have a little more cash. And then if you have too much gas and you lower your standards for return, I mean, that's kind of how it works. So. Well said, that's a yeah. nugget right there for people. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Kyle, I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking time. Uh, hey, thank you, Lawton out of your super busy, not semi-retired at all schedule to uh, carving out 30 minutes or so for this. So I really right. appreciate it. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I'm sure I'll see you and the missus around town. Sounds good. I appreciate it a lot. Thanks, man.
Yeah, see you, Kyle. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of REI Rocket Fuel. For even more content, follow us on social media or head over to www.reirocketfuel.com.